It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Ken loves talking all about cars, past, present, and future. Here he is, that automotive nerd with a historical twist, Ken Chester. This is the second hour of Real Facts, Real Opinions, and Real Talk, Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Thank you for sticking around. Regular listeners know that we pack a lot of information into each and every hour. And, of course, this hour is no exception. We'll get to those topics at hand in a moment. But first, for those of you that want to add your voice, ideas, or comments to topics to be discussed for the hour, feel free to call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line. Uh, that number is 872-222-9793. For those of you of the email persuasion, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. Now, for the second hour of Roadworthy Drive, we explore the love-it-hate-it relationship that Waymo is having with Arizona and its residents. I share a bit of prototype news, one that sort of is and one that sort of isn't. And then finally, we talk about uh, a study about automotive finance rates. Also for the second hour in studio, perhaps fully caffeinated and no. ready to roll, uh, or not, uh, are the two other members that make up the Roadworthy Drive crew. Jack, known as, otherwise known as the stable hands on the controls. The adult in the room. The stable hands on the <laughs> controls. And Sasha, our trusty map reader and unflappable navigator. Uh, How are we doing? I can't read a map. Well, but Does here- that mean we're lost? We are lost. Here's, here's the other thing and why I said no to the caffeinated part. In space. One, I have not had enough caffeine. Two, Miss Sasha over there <laughs> is drinking her flavored does, water. Hey, 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 hey. We're not going to discuss what may or may not be in my own brought-from-home water bottle. And honestly, Jack, is there enough caffeine for you? No. Yeah, oh, my. Okay. No. Okay. How can't. about a little news from the parts bin, which Let's may be very timely? Um. It's called an app called Grab. It will let you see a doctor, buy medicine, and book a physician all online. No, Sasha, I didn't make this up. They I, call it Grab? Grab. That was a poor choice of a headline. I, thank you. You know what? You know what? The, grab is, a, <laughs> is based in Southeast Asia. She's having a moment. She is. Uh, it's called a super app, all-encompassing. It is the region's leading ride-hailing firm, and they just announced a joint venture. Uh, Again, I'm not making this up. Ping and Good Doctor is what it's called. Leading online healthcare play in China to provide medical services, including medical delivery and appointment bookings. Now, the reason why I brought this up is that we're seeing this come together, and Uber's trying to do something like this, and Lyft is trying to do something like this, where they're joining medical services and the access to medical services with a ride-hailing app. We talked about something like that that was similar here in the U.S. We did. Yeah, as long as it's not like a life-threatening. Right. You know, just for doctor's appointments and stuff like that. But I think what they were saying in that particular piece back then, Sasha, was that people were tending to use Lyft and Uber Mm -hmm. 
in some neighborhoods in place of an ambulance. <laughs> an ambulance. Yeah. No, but we talked about one where it was actually funded by the doctor's offices themselves mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. were providing rides mm-hmm. to and from. And this is the whole thing with this joint venture uh, to resolve a lack of adequate medical infrastructure in some countries, particularly, and this will you'll find of interest, in the rural areas. I could see that. I've got a procedure coming up that, yeah, that would have been helpful. Yeah. Well, and the one the one thing I've questioned for a while is, you know, you hear about doctors who have literally gotten away from the insurance side of, of their practice yeah. and have gone to charging flat rates and do house calls. Concierge. Concierge? Yeah. Yeah. Doctors. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. And what you got to wonder is, is there an app for that yet? Um, and honestly, would there need to be one? I mean, that's already personal service. Yeah. Mm, and, yeah. you know, if you can already afford to pay for that, then you're going to pay for the doctor to come to you. You're not going to go to the doctor. But for the rest of us, where health care and the access to medical care uh, may be either a distance, affording, or a transportation issue, then ride-hailing apps getting closer to uh, medical, provide, medical service providers is a natural uh, evolution. I didn't think. didn't in that conversation we had a while back on this. Didn't we also kind of wonder what the liability is for the Uber driver or the Lyft driver? Well, in the in a medical situation, in a medical emergency, yeah. I mean, if they're taking Uber to go to the hospital <laughs> to emergency, there's some question there, <laughs> right? Um, but if you chop off your leg, yeah. While you have but a think about <laughs> but think about this. The next <laughs> level could very easily be the autonomous ride hailing vehicle. That has the ability to monitor your vitals and maybe in certain situations administer some level of care. Now, you realize that I'm envisioning like little robot spidery arms reaching from all over the place and, you know, putting well, pressure not, onto the wound. And, you know, who knows what this might look like well, in 15 or the, years. Or the other question I've got is you're by yourself, uh-huh. you're pregnant, <gasps> and you go into labor. The first robotic birth. No, but I would, what I would have or at least, or at the very least, would monitor your vitals, particularly if there was a problem. Meaning that when you got to the hospital, they would be better prepared for whatever emergency yeah, you were they having. Because they have a, they already talked about that, where that was like a live um, feed going directly to the doctor during Correct. the ambulance ride, so that way they knew exactly what was going on. There was no need for the. Uh, the the uh, conference while they're you know rushing the person to the you know OR or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this particular company has rapidly expanded its offerings since Uber left Southeast Asia. It's gone into food delivery, last mile logistics, and even retail. And they're now even loading third party content onto its main app to c- capture more even more of its consumers' attention. Think, if you will, maybe twenty twenty five years from now, an app. To end all be all, retail, ride hailing, medical, everything, you go one place. It may have other services connected to it, but it's your portal to whatever you need in life. Yeah, uh, we have a book about that. A book? Yeah. No kidding. Uh-huh. It's a thing. What's it called? Uh, what is that one called? By Was it Orson Welles? No. Oh, 1984. 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully without the dystopian future. I think that that's pretty much a given. Mm. Um, let's change gears. Again. Yes. Okay. Apple. Yeah. Hate the fruit. 
strong dislike for the fruit. Yeah. The, yeah. Not a lot of Apple fans here. A uh-uh. couple of things. One, uh, Apple self-driving car rear-ended. Right. By another electric car. Was it? No, it yeah. Was, but, it, but it was a driven car. Well, yes. Because, again, up until this point, mankind has been responsible for 100% of the accidents. No. 94% according to NHTSA. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. 94%. All right. All right stop for a second. I Go got, ahead. I got lost. <laughs> Did you? The Apple car was rear-ended by another vehicle that was yes. driven by a human. Yes. Right. Okay. It was a Nissan Leaf, an electric. It couldn't do much damage being a Leaf. Uh, actually, the Apple car was going at a mile an hour. The Leaf was doing 15 miles an hour. Uh-huh. There was damage, but nobody was hurt. Okay. On that same note. Having said that, Apple has also applied for a patent, uh, it, since that's their autonomous car test, that will introduce a unique countdown indicator that prepares passengers of a coming maneuver. Stop it. I'm telling you what they filed with the government. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Um, they have the op- – basically, it will identify the operational status of a system to let people know what it's going to do. Now, before you all get all crazy here. No, wait a minute. Think, but think about this. Oh. If you're following this car, we are going into a situation over the next 15 to 20 years where we're going to have driver, cars that have drivers. Right. Uh-huh. Vehicles that don't. Right. Right. It How- would be better for the human driver to know mm-hmm. what the autonomous car is getting ready to okay. do. Okay. You just confused the heck out of me again. Okay. I'll try it this way. You're saying that in the back window... That it's going to display to the drivers behind them what they intend to do. My what? question is this. How in the world did human drivers following behind another human-driven vehicle know what that person was going to do ahead of them? Exactly. If but only we had, like, signal. Yeah. <gasps> but, here's, but here's the thing. Autonomous, <laughs> autonomous vehicles don't currently do not telegraph what they're getting ready to do. So if you're following this vehicle or you're in an intersection with an autonomous vehicle and you're like, okay, you're going to make a corner. With a human driver, you've got the vehicle, the turn signal. Uh, you've got them looking what they're trying to do. You have some idea. Okay. Apple's patent is to give you more of that that gets taken away as a result of not having the human driver. So there's that. Coming up, Waymo has this love-hate relationship with the citizens of Arizona as it attempts to work out the bugs of its autonomous vehicles. We take a look at that relationship next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is one and only Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. mileage in your AMX, GTX, GTO, XKE, or souped-up Model T, there's Super Shell. And for most 1971s, now there's Shell of the Future, made with no lead at all. It's also good for many older cars. Shell of the Future. Okay, I've made a management decision. There will be no conversations between segments from now on. Uh, what? what? Yes. There has to be conversation. 
No, <laughs> you two don't play nice with each other. But I we play do, though. Perfectly nice. We are very friendly people. If you're just joining us, <laughs> this is, in fact, Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. And honestly, folks, uh, contrary to my executive producer, we're actually getting along famously in studio. Yes, we do. There you go. Waymo. Yes, sir. In case you have been hiding under a rock for the last eight years or so, Waymo is the standalone autonomous vehicle subsidiary of Google parent Alphabet. So you got all that. The company is generally regarded as the pioneer in the development evolution of the current wave of self-driving or autonomous vehicles under development in the United States. They're also regarded as the gold standard with respect to their progress and successes so far in their development efforts of the autonomous car. That, however, doesn't mean that it has come not come without struggles and growing pains. We're going to take a look at that kind of love-hate relationship. Okay. There's some that love it. And there's some that hate it. And there's some that hate it. Okay. Uh, we're going to do this a little backwards. We're going to kind of start with the haters and end with the lovers. Okay, but the haters are bringing up very valid points. Well, let's, t- <laughs> let's take a look at what they're talking about. Uh, one report deals with the prototype minivans having problems crossing an intersection close to the Phoenix headquarters. Mm -hmm. Another one, over a dozen local residents, has encountered the test vehicles uh, and they've complained of sudden movements or stops. And then finally, sources say that the safety drivers, and here's the key word, regularly have to take control of the vehicle to avoid a crash. These are some of the complaints. Okay, but who's making that last complaint? Well, that would be uh, data. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know, neighbors have complained. Well, how would you know that they regularly have to do this? Mm -hmm. Now, according to Waymo, Uh uh, of course, they would say safety continues to be at highest priority. Right. And to be blunt, really, um, they've probably had the least drama of all the companies that are out there with vehicles on the road. No, that's true. Um, you've heard more about Uber's problems, both in Arizona and in Pittsburgh, yep. Yep. where they've had trouble. Yep. You haven't heard that from Waymo. And Waymo's been at this, I believe, since 2009. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's, that's, so crazy. that's almost 10 years ago. Where right? has the time gone? Yeah, right? no kidding. That the vehicles are continually learning, and we've developed robust testing and validation processes that will allow us to safely expand our vehicle's driverless capabilities over time. Now, I'll be the first one to admit, and I've said it here on air, about the value, and I mean, and I say that with all the snark I can muster, mm. of human drivers behind driving or sitting behind the wheel of an autonomous vehicle. Now, I have no problem if you're at a stage where the vehicle's still learning to navigate and you have to resolve issues when it can't. It gets into a situation that it can't resolve, so it stops. Right. I understand that. Right. Um, my issue is that it's rolling 40 miles an hour in the dark, and it's got to deal with something, and it doesn't deal with it. And you think that the human driver is going to be better at resolving whatever it just encountered? No. Mm-hmm. No. I, I completely agree. Now, my other question is, is that the one complaint is that the sudden stops. Mm-hmm. Does the autonomous vehicle have safety lights the way that my car does? I mean, when it's making a right turn. Does Are you it... talking about brake lights, tail lights? Right. I, the turning I'm, signals. I'm going to, at this point on air, 
uh, correct myself and say yes, because here's the thing that I hadn't thought about when we were having this discussion. This uh, is one of those segments. heated discussions that. Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, every vehicle on the road today right now mm-hmm. has to meet the federal motor vehicle safety standards. That's what I thought. Uh, these vehicles are no exception. Now, you brought up a point, and I'm not really sure with respect to um, adaptive cruise control. You know, this would make a really, really, really good social media question. Oh, well, there you go. So, how would you how would you frame that question, Sasha? My question is for your, those of you who have adaptive cruise control or maybe have had to use the emergency braking system. Does your brake lights come on when the car starts to slow down or when it actually has to engage the emergency braking system? I would think with the braking system, yes. The adaptive cruise control, maybe not. Okay, for those of us that can hear that, do you think that they need, and I will post this on our Facebook, Okay, do you think that they need to have, like, just like if I was to slow down my vehicle, I have a brake light. The brake light is not only supposed to alert drivers that I am, you know, slow braking, but also slowing down. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the brake light should engage if your adaptive cruise control slows down the vehicle? Okay. I've got a point to make here. Go ahead. When I've been using cruise control, uh-huh. and I, I'll use road construction as an example. Oh, yes, yes. I've got, I'm coming up on a work zone. Uh-huh. I will... Tap the brake to disengage the cruise control. Yep. Which every which everybody does. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden I'm slowing down, but my foot is not on the on the brake. It's not on the accelerator. Yep. I have it flat on the floor. Yeah. And people behind me can see. You know, if they saw me tap the brakes, the lights just flashed for a second. Yep. And we're all slowing down. Yep. Why wouldn't the adaptive cruise control do the same thing unless you're in that? I think it. Well, you said forty miles an hour and under. If it has to stop, stop. Then I think you would see the brakes. Okay, two things, real quick. You've got adaptive cruise control, right? And you have automatic emergency see, braking, stop. right? They're different. Correct. They're incorporated, but they're different. Right now, any vehicle on our public streets must meet the federal motor vehicle safety standards, which includes brake lights, turn Tail, signals. Taillights, the yeah. issue is adaptive cruise control, which is not an autonomous issue because many vehicles right now, uh, including many vehicles are dri- that our listeners are driving, uh, has that feature. So that is a question. But to get to this thing, um, and maybe the larger question, how much – as a driver, as more autonomous vehicles get into uh, our public highways and byways, mm-hmm. would you need to know, since there's not the typical cues that you would get from a driver, where a driver may signal you to go ahead, he stopped, he sees you, he says, go ahead, in an yeah. intersection. Um, you wouldn't necessarily get that from an autonomous vehicle. You're like, okay, are you going to go? Are you going to wait for me? Okay. What? Is the autonomous vehicle already pre-programmed to the fir- person on the right is, has the right away? It depends, and I don't know how that programming is, but it's a question, even, regardless of how it's programmed, as a human driver encountering this vehicle in an intersection, you know, there's certain information I will need to know because I don't know what you're going to do. Did I don't know we, what that device is going to do. Yeah. Did we ever get to the positive side of this? We didn't, and we're sort out of time, and we'll see if we can't get to it in the next segment. Real. Go ahead. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. You betcha.
to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Now you guys have made me hungry. Right? Hey, I want some bacon. Bacon, okay? We were discussing bacon over thick, the Excuse me. Thick cut bacon. Extra Don't, thick. Thank no, you. No, I go straight to the source. Mine get uh, dropped off at um, and at uh, Special Place, mm-hmm. and my butcher... Does all the wonderful things to that uh, mm-hmm. to that pig? Yeah, we don't. We do not believe in that see through stuff. Right, right. I got see through. I got that, but at least all three of us came to the same conclusion. Right. Yeah. Crispy bacon. Crispy bacon. Excuse me. Crispy pork bacon. I mean, have you tried? No. No. <laughs> Not going to happen. Don't get him started (laughs) again. He'll tell you to get the you-know-what out. I'm just saying. Real facts, real opinions, and real talk, believe it or not. Welcome to the start of the second half of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Thank you for dropping in. Now, if you're new to the show, be sure to check out our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. That's the show website, and it will give you all the information you could possibly want to know about the show and the Roadworthy Drive crew. The one thing you will not find out. And we just shared with you is soggy or crispy. We're, no. we're crispy here. We're crispy Bacon. here. Yeah. It's not even worth doing a poll on. No, it isn't. Um, audio clips, video clips, blogs, and more. Yep, it's all there. You can also find out where we are in the universe of social media. Sasha is our resident expert regarding all things social, and she does an excellent job during the week between shows with her inspirational and interesting posts and links. For those of you that are truly mobile, not to worry. You can also find us on Google. Google? Google. 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 Got it. Go. Play and Blueberry Podcasting as well. Sasha, a Stitcher. We're on Stitcher, Stitcher now. Yep. Stitcher. Okay. I'm told be sure to like us on Facebook to see how Sasha keeps the social in our social media. Now, we didn't get through all the way <laughs> um, on our discussion about Waymo driverless vehicles, and some of the tech involved, particularly the safety tech. Yes. We wanted to be equal opportunity, uh, kind of gave the haters a chance. Now we want to talk about uh, the one. There was one fella who actually did a test drive or actually rode in one of Waymo's Arizona vehicles. I saw that article. Yes. And, and I got to read his opening line. Okay. All those autonomous driving gaffes, people in Arizona are complaining about might be a hair overblown. Yeah. That's his take. Shocker. Yeah. No kidding. Now, he talked about his ride. Now, first, a few statistics. Um, Google, or Waymo, if you will, recently announced that their vehicles had achieved 9 million miles of fully automated driving on public roads. With how many accidents? Did not say, but hold on a minute. 25 cities. Uh-huh. And with how many? Hold, are- hold on. Uh-huh. 25 cities. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Go ahead. 25 cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard of them in California. Yep. We've heard of them in Arizona. Yeah. But we did not realize, and I don't think for most, that tw- literally, you know, that many cities Waymo's actually been testing. Mm-hmm. And wasn't their car uh, the one that went around for the, the mapping pictures? Different situation. It wasn't right, the same. but I mean, no. they weren't using autonomous no. technology for no. that. 
Oh, no. okay. Mm-mm. Different. Uh, they also have a purpose-built simulated city at the Castle Air Air Force Base south of San Francisco. Oh. Um, to give you an idea, they just passed 8 million miles in July. They did a million miles in about a month. Wow. Just to give you an idea. Now, I'm going to quote the fellow who wrote this. Okay. This is his quote. Uh-huh. Um, crabby Phoenicians, folks in Phoenix, mm-hmm. complaining that they hate the new vehicles because they struggle at certain intersections. For proof, we have a video. Sh- they have a video showing one of the distinctive tech-coated white Chrysler Pacifica minivans proceeding warily around a turn somewhere in town trying to decide if two women standing at a corner talking were actually going across the street. Got it. They were in a position to do so. They had a green light. Could have happened, but it didn't. Now, this fella said, really? That's it? If hesitant robots trying to learn how to navigate intersections that most humans botch every seven seconds Mm -hmm. is the worst we can say about Waymo's testing, then we're actually in a pretty good place as a society. And may I add, nobody, and I mean nobody, in a Waymo vehicle, nobody, can I say this again, nobody? Nobody. Has been hurt or killed. Yep. Either hit by one or in one. I mean, can we can we list out anybody? And I'm, I understand they went, you know, millions of miles. But can we actually put a poll out there and see who went? We'll just say throw out a number: two hundred fifty thousand miles without an accident, without a single accident. I don't think anybody in here can raise their but, hand. But you know, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles are dangerous. Though. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got you. Right, I got you. Wait a minute. Okay, uh, he's even got. He even refers. And I've seen some of these. On YouTube, he refers – yeah, go watch a few dash cam video compilations showing the real mayhem that human drivers are capable of causing. Yep. And then he told them to chill out. Well, not only that, but, I mean, does anybody remember, like, the kids that actually went out, got train horns, and were blowing them at, you know, pedestrians and other people driving a car? Oh, that's wonderful. Right? I mean, but that's – you know, that's cute and funny, but autonomous vehicles are the danger on the road. Yeah, well – Here's here's the here's the impact of his ride. It boils down to this. He said the ride was a non-event, no fuss, no drama. The vehicle readily managed a sampling of suburban California driving challenges from crosswalks to bicyclists to bright sunshine to other vehicles behaving erratically in front of it. The car even waited patiently for them to get their acts together and move on. Yep. Um, the Waymo personnel managing the drive in the front seats. They watched the visualized stream of data real time. And the vehicle used LADAR to paint virtual pictures of the long-range environment. This thing's looking a football field away. Yep. I can barely look 40 feet. I know that's right. May I add, it's looking a football field away. Mm-hmm. Now, did they happen to put in, um, with these particular car systems, uh has they had a situation where wildlife, like, you know, squirrel, rabbit? They have not. I was just curious. Snail. Stop it. Field mouse. Armadillo. I don't think they have deer necessarily in the city, but I am curious. I know here in Des Moines, yes, you guys have got dead deer everywhere. But mm. um, I was just curious to see if they've had that kind of situation. They have not talked about that. Okay. Okay. Before we run out of time, Sasha. Of course. I'm about to plant an ID in your head and get in trouble for it. Whoop, whoop. Um, your job this week mm-hmm. is to contact Waymo. Oh, See if you can get one of us a test drive. Oh, that'd be awesome. So that we can get so that we can get the the four one one on this. You know, well, why do I hear the Mission Impossible music? And dun, dun, here's the dun, deal. Dun, dun. Um, we're probably going to need to find a sponsor to do this. 
which is fine because you and I are both very creative. No, no, I, no. I can actually make this easy on you guys. Okay. All it's going to take is a trip 100 miles to the east. We have a standing invitation. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I um, don't need to that. do all that. We or, have a standing invitation. Can, can I just put this out there? Yeah. Winter is coming. Um, so yeah. what I think I should do is uh, right around the time of that first snowfall, I think I should just get myself a plane ticket down to Arizona and spend a couple months down there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't have said it any better myself. But basically, the we, bottom need, of- we need to take that up, by the way, with the guy over in Iowa City. Yeah. Basically, folks, he said the ride was a non-event and, you know, that some of this stuff is not as nearly bad as it sounds. Finally, we take a look at the results from a recent study on automotive financing. Keep it right there. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. For this segment, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to leave Mr. Chester's mic off. Uh huh. Oh my goodness! Uh, I'm the tame one. I didn't start I, all that. I, the break. I really didn't. Uh, I just, well, that yes, was not me. Did. That was not yes, me. Yes, you did. I was just singing songs. Yes, she was. Uh, which were banned, by the way. Uh, yes, they're me, banned. Me and the executive producer both agreed to that. Yeah. I don't understand. Welcome back to Roadworthy Drive. I'm Jack Tillion. He's Ken Chester. And see, she over there causing all kinds of trouble is <gasps> Sasha Little. There you go. And it's our fourth and final segment. It is. It is indeed. Yay. Oh, so my. all the fun happens now. Hey, oh. at, least, at least I'm going yay for one reason. I can at least go get lunch. Oh, my. Lunch. Oh, never mind. <laughs> We're going to end this hour with some information regarding automotive financing. Yeah. Really? It's often the one cost the average consumer doesn't shop, although deals exist. Question is, do you know where to look? Do you know when to look? Uh, when to yeah. look? Well, here's the thing. Yes, sir. All right, Sasha. Uh-huh. Uh, being the former car salesperson that you were, uh, yes, question for you. Yes, sir. As a percentage, mm-hmm. percentages. How many car loans, as a percentage, uh-huh. are written at the dealer as opposed to at a financial institution? Ooh, okay. So I'm gonna. It's gonna be high, like insanely high. I want to say eighty, ninety percent. So do I. I literally want to say like, at, I would be shocked if it's below ninety percent. Eighty-five percent. Yeah. See, I mean, it's 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 insanely high. Well, and the one thing that they did, and and I'm just as guilty of this too. It's, it's a whole lot easier to have them do the financing. No, it's not. Well, no. know, I'm just telling you from a convenience standpoint. It's not. Okay. Here, here's- I mean, the only thing is, as a car salesperson, most of the time, the only ones that came in there um, that they had already talked to their bank and got it all approved and da 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 were my farmers. Yeah. I mean, most of the time. And it shocked me because if you have a bank, if you have a bank that you've been going to for longer than, and I'm just throwing a number out there, five years, nine times out of 10, you would get a much better deal going to your banker, getting approved. They tell you how much, and then it's done. Then you get to just the have best, fun. The best rates you can get uh, in the following order. The captive finance company, the car manufacturers, and we'll come back to why in a moment. Okay. Credit unions. Oh, yes. 
small town community banks. Yep. yep. Regional banks. Yep. And at the bottom of the list, national banks. Mm-hmm. Duh. Now, reason why, reason why um, the captive car companies, uh, because they're in business, do one thing. Sell, sell cars. cars. Sell cars. And when the dealers are having a tough time, their credit gets easier. They want to push the cars, so they lean on them, and they offer these crazy deals, low percentage rates, low leasing rates, et cetera, and maybe may not be, what's the word I want to use, as strict about credit, which sometimes comes back to bite them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but if you're looking for a deal and your timing is right, particularly now where car, new car sales are softening, and of course we've been talking and warning our listeners about that 19 million used vehicles coming in off lease in the next few years. Right. Yep. It's going to put even more pressure on a new vehicle industry that is maxing out. In other words, sales and the pace is slowing. Sasha, when you were selling cars, mm-hmm. if the dealer got the loan, mm-hmm. you signed everything at the dealership, mm-hmm. then the car gets repossessed. Mm-hmm. Did your people that were supplying the financing, were you back charged for that? Um, as I in, was not. And then there was a fee to, that you had to pay because they went. I can probably answer that. Okay, go ahead. No. Because the deal ends up being, at the end of the day, while the financing may have been done at the dealership, you're either doing it with a captive vehicle company mm-hmm. or you're doing it with a local bank. It's called indirect lending, where your local bank may do business with that car dealer and makes money available that the dealer can mark up based on your credit. Okay. But a lot of people don't realize that, that that's negotiable. Um, obviously, the higher credit you've got, the more negotiation you can do. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is it ends up being between the financial institution and... And the person, because the the car is offered as collateral. Yep. So if you don't make the payments or repossess the vehicle, here's something I didn't know. <clears throat> In most cases, it's designed that the vehicle would be sufficient collateral if for non-payment. <laughs> but in cases it's not, they can still come back after you yep. Yep. for the difference. That I did not know. This is why they call it gap insurance. Well, that's no. part of it, but that wouldn't really cover it. That would only cover it like an accident or a totaling. It would not cover repossession. And see, honestly, most of the time, depending on what your interest is, especially if you have a used vehicle, mm. you're already upside down. You and that's could, where the term is. I mean, you they repossess a vehicle. It does not automatically wipe out your loan. I mean, when they turn around and sell it at auction, that's what you – that right there is that what you get applied to your loan. You're still liable for the you rest could, of it. You could be. Now, it's up to them whether they decide to eat it or not, but legally, it can you're on the hook. You can be. But, yeah. you know, obviously, they're going to look at the situation. If it's an old enough car, a smaller car, a high enough mileage, you know, they're going to take what they can get. They're looking at you and saying, you know, they've got to make up their decisions. If it's worth it, they're coming. If it's not, they won't. It boils down. It's a financial decision. But another thing to consider, credit unions. Credit unions are in business for their members. And that means they're usually going to be a little easier on the credit. Their rates are going to be a little lower. And you should be able to actually borrow more as a percentage of the car very often. So, you know, particularly, again, like Sasha had mentioned, if you've got a long-time relationship, uh, another thing to think about very quickly is – you can get a better deal if you get pre-qualified for a loan. Then you know what your payments are going to be. You know how long you're going to pay it. And you're in a much stronger position when you walk into the car dealership. Now, you can still 
have the dealership run your numbers if the captive car company can do better. See? You're not obligated to take the deal. But at the very least, you've got the deal. You're proved. You're ready to go. Said, I know what I can buy. I know what it's going to cost me. I know what I need down. Boom, boom, boom. The deal's yours to lose, Mr. Car Dealer. Yep. And it puts you in a very strong very financial strong. situation to get the deal done your way. Now, captive car company, that's the way my wife went uh, when we bought her vehicle at the beginning of the year. And it was literally easy. We were literally in and out of there in less than two hours. And that included the test drive, the paperwork, the financing, everything. And in fact, it went so easy, we were a little shocked there for a minute. Said, uh, don't you need this and this? She didn't even fill out any, any loan application paperwork. They did it all for her. They didn't even ask the questions. Really? They asked who she was, social security number, who's going to make the payments. And that's all they asked. Really? Yeah. And they approved her, and uh, she drove out of there. So food for thought. Basically, folks, it boils down to this. The, the worse the market's the more likely the captive car companies are going to offer a deal in any other market, newer used, your credit union, and then if you have a relationship with a bank. That's the best way to do it. And that is all it, it's about it for this week. On behalf of Jack, Sasha, and myself, thanks for listening. See you next week. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.